0: Father, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you, Lord, that we can open your word. We thank you that we can just position ourselves tonight again under the authority and the truthfulness and the faithfulness of your word. Your word never returns void. Your word always accomplishes what you've sent it forth to do. And I thank you, Lord, that even tonight, Lord, that there is a a specific thing, a specific work that you have preordained, pre-planned for us to step into tonight, Lord, that there's a word from God that will accomplish what you've sent it forth to do. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, So as a church, we have a global mission statement. For those of you who are visiting us, maybe for the first time, we are part of a global movement of churches in over 80 countries. And we have the same mission statement. It's not on the board. Um, but let's see who knows. Ethan, what's our mission statement? We exist to honor God by? <laughs> yeah, so what we do as a church is normally we preach together. So um, yeah, you can lean on someone next to you, and if they don't know, and then um, there's always someone that shouts out, make disciples, um, which is part of it. But we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. And in that mission statement, there is so much of our identity, our calling as a movement of churches locked up in. And when every nation becomes your family, when you say, okay, this is where God has added me because the scripture speaks about Jesus adding people to the body, That if you know that every nation is the body where God has added you, then the mission statement of the body becomes your mission statement. And and that sometimes is um, part of our biggest growth challenge when we take that first line that I exist to honor God. Okay, (laughs) Lord, this thought I have towards my colleague right now, does this honor you? This thought I have towards the person that stole my parking spot. Does this honor you? Lord, what I want to do with my time or my finances, does this honor you? So just that first phrase, I exist to the, for the honor of the glory of God, is in itself already a massive challenging statement. But then we make it worse <laughs> by establishing Christ-centered. So Jesus is at the center of our existence. He is the Lord of my life. I've surrendered ownership of my life over to Jesus um, Spirit empowered, we believe in the embodiment of the Holy Spirit inside of every believer, but also the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that it enables us to be effective witnesses, as Acts 1 teaches us, but then also socially responsible. Um, and that means that we believe that a healthy church should have an effective um, work in the community, that as the body of Christ embodies the mission of Jesus, the kingdom of God steps into broken communities, into broken homes, into schools, campuses, etc., through the church. So there where the church is, the kingdom of God should advance. Um, so when we think about social justice, all right, whom of you have ever been on one of our outreaches, our social responsibility outreaches with Brave to Love to Heal Brow, okay, whom of you went to our place of safety with the babies, um now the 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 heart behind a lot of this is this this stuff that's broken in the world we live in and we don't need to drive far um one of the things that we drive past often is you see someone that's standing next to the street corner and then there's a little baby whether it's their own or whether it's a rented child because you can do that as well um and I'm not even joking you can rent a child to stand on the street corner so that someone will have more compassion towards you um whether it is a disability center in a at bosch which is just outside of Centurion, where moms intentionally drink during their pregnancy so that their child will be um, born with a disability so that they will get an extra grant from the government. So that's the brokenness we find in the world we live in, and we don't need to look far. So um, Donnie, who leads our Linwood Church, they've adopted a, a, a boy in Um, And Mpilwe's story is that he was dropped off in one of those boxes in a wall where the mom just dropped, praise God, she dropped him and didn't leave him somewhere in a trash can. Um, But then he was brought in and basically fostered until he was brought in to be adopted. Um, Our own home here, Just Home, we have two girls that come from a very broken family structure um, and they get to experience a place of safety. When you speak to the ladies of the night, um, when you go to Hillbrow, and, and you hear some of their stories, it's like some of the stories would, would horrify you. Is that a word? It's horrific. Um, but a year ago, they were working, then COVID happened, and they lost their job, and one thing led to another, and here they're on the streets selling their bodies. Or they were lured in with the promise of a better life from another nation. And now they get them, find themselves stuck in a place where they struggle to get out um, by themselves. And when we look at Scripture, when we look at the Word of God, we see that God has a very intentional focus towards injustice. That He would rebuke the people of Israel to say, why do you sing songs to me? Why do you bring sacrifices, but you are not acting in mercy or acting um, out justice? Like all of your things in Amos, in the Message translation, um, it reads and says that I'm sick of your noisy egocentric conferences. You know what I want? I want justice. I want mercy. And, and that's the heart of God, that there's a, a place of justice that God longs, longs for. Now, in Luke 4, verse 18, and it's, uh, it's, it's Jesus basically making this proclamation about himself, coming from Isaiah 61, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed speaking about freedom, speaking about um, helping people step out of a place of bondage where they've been held captive to be captive no more. Uh, Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So when you think about the throne of God where, where God is seated, the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. So God is always working out righteousness. is always working out justice. And then we, the church, become the embodiment of God's heart. If the church is the body of Christ, which is the head, then the church becomes the enactment, the, the practical living out of God's desire to see righteousness and justice prevail in the world we live in. Uh, Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Whom of you would like to know what the Lord wants from your life? (laughs) Right? We have this thing. What's my purpose? What's my calling? Well, it's not so so difficult to find. What does the Lord require of you? What does He require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So if you're a born-again believer, then this call towards righteousness and justice lies on every single one of us. Now, when we speak about injustice and we've named some examples, you might have some stuff in your mind as well, right? Whom of you want to give me an example of things that burdens your heart? You're welcome to raise your hand and shout out. Anyone? Education, all right? There's an injustice when it comes to education. Yes, Sean? Poverty, lack of equality. Yes? Yes? Human trafficking? We already said that one, sorry. I'm joking. Human trafficking? Yes? Discrimination. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff that we think about. Now, what makes something an injustice? And this is a very important question for us to understand and to be able to answer. What makes something an injustice? Um, There's this story about a child... Who, was, who came crying to his dad about another child that stole his ice cream. And he was basically livid about this injustice that took place in his life because then another child stole his ice cream. And whom of you would be upset by that, Ethan? Right? So, or when you go to the movies and you order popcorn and your wife says she doesn't want, but then she does want popcorn. Okay? Now... So this child now tells the story and this dad becomes livid and he goes to this um, other child and almost like um, being dad-like, protecting his own child. And then the wife returns and he's like, you wouldn't um, believe what just happened, that that child just stole our son's ice cream. And then the mom was like, our son didn't have an ice cream. (laughs) So just because something is uncomfortable towards you doesn't necessarily make it an injustice. Just because things don't work out the way you want them to work out doesn't make it an injustice. It's an important thing for us to know. So what makes something an injustice? We read in the Bible that in the beginning, chapter 1 of the 1 to 1, in the beginning, you guys know this, in the beginning, no, that's John. All right. Andre, you're an elder in this church. (laughs) In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So who is above God? To whom is God accountable? Who gives God direction? Who was there when God formed the stars, the skies, the waters? You see, God is accountable to no one but Himself. The, um, the Word of God teaches us that God is accountable only to His own Word. So no one gives God direction. No one tells God what something is. God is the author of all of life. And He created the world and He said it is good. Then He created man, male, female, in His own image. And He said it is very good. Now when you look at your spouse or your friend next to you, then you see they are very good, all right. Guys, even remember by faith we proclaim. Okay, very good. So, so, here's the thing. Whenever something is not as God originally designed it or intended it for, it's an injustice against the Creator. Whenever something is not the way that God chose it to be, it is an injustice against the Creator. Does it make sense? So when something is other than how God designed it to be, it's an injustice. I want to read for us tonight from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 6. And that's where we're going to be. So you can open your Bible or your app at 2 Corinthians 4. While you guys are opening your Bibles, I just want to say... If you have a dog that is as non-existent as that one, then you're allowed to bring it. You didn't even know there was a dog in church, guys. That's how silent that dog is. (laughs) No, Marielle, you cannot bring your huskies. Okay. (laughs) Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 6. So Paul writes and he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So verse 1 starts with the word, Therefore, and when you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? All right, so we backtrack. I'm going to read for us from verse 14 from chapter 3. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, if you hear that word freedom, you think about what? William Wallace. Now you do. Okay, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? <laughs> all right. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed Into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, Paul writes about a a covenant in chapter 3, and he speaks about the old covenant under Moses where they got the, the Ten Commandments. And in obeying the Ten Commandments, you would have liberty. But we don't have to read far and wide to see that the people of God did not obey the Ten Commandments, so much so that they had to make a second copy of the Ten Commandments. So you just received it, (laughs) and then they they broke it. Um, We don't have to look far and wide in our own lives that we do not keep every single thing that God asks of us. But under the old covenant, your um, position of security before the Father, your place of freedom was bound towards your ability to keep the law. But because people can't, because we can't, you are under a condemnation. There is a place of death that we find ourselves under because we cannot uphold the law of God. But now through Christ, there is a better covenant installed, a new covenant installed, where Christ takes upon Himself our brokenness. So when we reflect back to the message of Easter, the the death of Jesus on the cross, that Christ took upon Himself our sinful nature. Not just your sinful acts, very important, your sinful nature So what needs to change in our lives is not just our behavior, and you need to be a better person, a list of do's and do not's. Your nature needs to change because you can only produce after your own nature. So unless your nature changes, you will continue to produce sin. That's the fruit of a rotten root. So in Christ, He took upon Himself our sinful nature. He became sin for us. But now He lavishes on us the righteousness that was on Him. And it puts us in a position of right standing before the Father because the penalty for sin has been paid. So we now have a new covenant. So Paul writes and he says to the people that as long as you look to the old covenant, as long as you look towards your own works to to validate yourself before God, you will always fall short. You will always feel condemned. But there is a better way that this veil that has covered your eyes, that has blinded you, that has covered your heart, can be taken away when one turns to the Lord. And in turning to the Lord, there is a freedom. There is an embodiment of God that fills you through the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Will the Holy Spirit ever lead you into sin? So sometimes we look at the grace of God and we say the grace of God is sufficient, and it is. The grace of God covers our weaknesses, and oh, God knows I'm just a human, so I will mess up. Whom of you mess up sometimes? Okay? We all do, right? So it's the truth, but sometimes we make that statement to say, oh, I'm just a human, and I will probably fail as a justification for what we want to do. (laughs) Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. So the Spirit of God will never lead us into sin. It's outside of His character. It's outside outside of His nature. He will not lead you into sin. So as a born-again believer, being led by the Spirit of God, you can live a life that is completely free from sin, free from bondage. You can be free. You see, freedom is not the ability to do what you want to do because many of us can testify where that got you. Freedom is to live within God's perfect design and will for your life. And this is what Paul is saying. Because we have this new covenant Therefore, since we have this ministry, the gospel, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And what Paul is saying to us and there's two parts to tonight's message. The one is applicable to us, and then there's a part that God is stirring in us that's applicable to those who do not know Jesus. Because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, you do not need to operate in the dark anymore. You do not need to live with a shame or a guilt over your life anymore. There is a condemnation that has been taken away in Christ. Now, what the enemy wants you to believe is that you are still being accused. So now you are born again, you are a Christian, and your life is supposed to change, but it doesn't necessarily look that way. And you find yourself falling back into old ways of sin. And you doubt whether you are really saved. You doubt whether God still loves you. You doubt whether you still belong to the church, as if you're the church's property. And the enemy wants to have you in a place of shame. And what do you do? And this is what we see right throughout the biblical story in the Garden of Eden. There was a brokenness. Then shame, guilt, isolation. And we isolate ourselves from God. We isolate ourselves from one another. Maybe not in the flesh, but absolutely sometimes in our emotions, in our thought life, where there are things happening in our lives that we do not want to bring into the light because of shame. But now Paul writes and he says, because we have this greater covenant, you don't have to operate there anymore. Um, Paul writes in, in Romans 8, says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus became the condemnation, friends. He took upon himself what you were supposed to take so that you don't have to take it anymore. So when you mess up, you get to step out of the darkness into the light, into the fullness of God's full mercy and grace, and if you missed um, last week's message by Anya speaking about repentance. Repentance is beautiful because God is faithful. Repentance is beautiful because God is faithful when you are not. See, as a Christian, our hearts drift. And I'm going to try and illustrate this. So, you are in a close place with God. Like you're here. You're connected. And then stuff happens and your heart starts to drift. And now you become convicted and you feel, okay, I need to get back in my relationship with God. So maybe I should just go to church more. I just need to read my Bible more and to swear less. And I have all of these steps that I have to undo. And I think this is what Anya touched on last week. But the gospel that Paul writes about here is that even when you were unfaithful, you drifted because we do. God did not. He leans in because of the covenant, a new and better covenant. So when you get to that place of conviction, there's nothing that you need to do to restore yourself back in relationship with God. You turn around, you repent, and there's a fellowship that has been restored. So God calls us into this place of boldness in our relationship with Him because He has already paid the price. And the enemy wants to keep you in a place where you still believe the lie that you have to work your way back to God. You have to find a way to be restored in relationship with God. And then as long as you are in this space where you are not in fellowship with God, your authority as a child of God is taken away. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my hand is up. There are times when I believe the lie that I do not feel confident in just praying for someone. There are times when I do not have the confidence to read God's Word because I don't think that He'll speak to me today. There are times when I feel far away from God and I don't even want to ask Him for help or assistance during this day because I don't deserve it. Because I look towards myself to validate my place before God. And Paul calls us and he says there is a better way, there is a better covenant that has been established for you and I to live in That you can have a boldness in front of God. You can have a frankness in your relationship with God. There is an authority that you get to carry. Yes, when we mess up, we repent. And repentance is glorious and beautiful because God is faithful. Then he goes on and he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So, those who do not believe cannot see, they cannot understand. And then he gives us the, the reason why, verse 4: whose minds the God of this age, the devil, has blinded, who do not believe, so that they cannot see, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, there's an enemy that has an agenda over your life, and he wants to blind you to the glory of Christ, to the good news of the gospel to this mercies that is available in the new covenant. And the God of this age wants to blind you so that you cannot see, so that you cannot perceive the gospel. All right? Then Paul goes on and he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Very big words. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here's the essence that Paul continues in in chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. There's a spiritual darkness. There's a spiritual bondage. There is a blindness because of the God of this age that has an agenda. But there is a gospel. There is the glory of Christ that is able to shine into someone's heart so that they can perceive and understand the mercies of God. How is this message um, transferred into someone's heart that is blinded? Someone has to preach it. Someone has to be a preacher of the Word of God. Someone has to preach the gospel so that the light of the glory of Christ can shine into darkness. So that someone can be set free, so that bondage can be broken, so that justice can prevail. Every single person that is not living in the full design of God over their life is in bondage. Every single person that is operating in darkness. and that can be a believer as well. You can be born again and you can live in darkness. There can be things, hidden sins in your heart that you do not profess, that you do not confess to one another as the Bible instructs us. There can be this space where um, you have a public persona to the church, but then you have a hidden life of sin as well. As long as there's a place of darkness in your life, you are in bondage. The greatest scheme of the enemy is to th- make you think that you are free and you are free to make your own choices but you are a slave to sin. Those are your two options, to be a slave to sin or to be a slave to Jesus. So whenever there's a a bondage there's an injustice. But the gospel is the great rectifier of an injustice. Jesus came so that people do not have to remain in bondage. Jesus came so that people can be set free from whatever bondage they might be found in, whether it's a mental bondage, a physical bondage, a spiritual bondage. And remember, God created the natural from the spiritual. So there will be a spiritual bondage before it gets manifested in the natural. But if you leave it, it will cause physical destruction in your life. It will start with broken relationship between you and God, you and one another, you and people, and also you and God's creation. But the gospel is the great rectifier of injustice. So I I, I like spy stories, movies, novels, etc. So I stumbled upon a book that I read over December that was about um, a spy coming out of World War II Um, basically looking for some of the Nazis that were in the regime. So in the story that I was reading, they had certain um, SS lieutenants that were basically the higher ranks, and then they had the army generals, but they were just the plebs. They were told what to do. So the SS generals knew that Germany were going to lose the war. So they started to flee Germany and find places of safety while sending out the army to keep on fighting, saying, guys, we're going to make it. Germany's going to win. Go, go, go. In the meantime, they're fleeing. So this whole story is about this um, journalist that basically um, is looking for some of these people that were part of this injustice. Now, I want to create a scenario. Let's say, um, let's use Vina Ann. Okay, Vina Ann was in one of these concentration camps, one of these camps, prisoner camps of war, um, and now the news broke that Germany lost the war. All right, so true story, some prisoners would wake up in this concentration camp and then the guards would just be gone, and they would wonder, are we really free, are we not free, can we go, is this a trick, are we gonna get shot? But let's say Vina is in one of the concentration camps where the guards are saying, listen, we are so remote, The news will not reach these people. We can manipulate this a bit still. So we're not going to tell them anything. We're going to stay and we're going to be the guards. And they're going to continue to be our slaves. So even though the war has already been won, even though these people are rightfully free, they can remain in bondage, right? So what needs to happen? Someone has to go. (laughs) Someone has to go and tell them. Someone has to go and take a message of victory to those who are still captive, to those who are still in bondage. And and that's the story that God entrusts to every single one of us. That God entrusts this message of uh, deliverance, liberation, freedom to every single one of us. And here's the thing. We can think about the prostitute. We can think about the girl that was human trafficked into South Africa or somewhere else. We can think about this child that was born with a disability because his parents chose deliberately to drink while being pregnant. And those are very real injustices. But every single person who is not living in the full design of God over their lives is an injustice. And this can be your neighbor. This can be your family member. This can be a friend. This can be your work colleague, someone that goes to campus with you. So there's an injustice. And again, the injustice is not against you. The injustice is against the Creator. It's an injustice against God. And now God orchestrated a way for this injustice to be dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ. So Jesus died and He paid a legal price. His blood was legal payment for sin. So it's an injustice against the cross. When there are people that are still stuck in bondage, when there are people that are still enslaved to a wrong nature, to a sinful nature. It's an injustice against God. It's an injustice against the cross. Now let's say, and we won't say Ethan because it's too close to home. Let's say Andre knew that there was this one concentration camp somewhere in the woods that he heard about, but he chooses to do nothing. What do we call that? injustice, when there's a means to rectify injustice, and we do nothing, it's an injustice. And that's what God calls us towards, to be a church, to be a people that embodies his justice, that has already been paid, it's already been purchased. Now, we might think that it's a little bit too far for us, all right? Um, And I want to encourage you, go and spend some time on 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. There's an incredible message where Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. I'll quickly read it where he says, um, sorry, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what Paul is saying is, if Andre is someone who was still stuck in bondage, when I go and I share the gospel, It is as if God is speaking through me, imploring Andre, be reconciled to God. There is a missional component um, in the heart of God that wants to act out through you and me. Friends, the pulpit is not the place where God says, oh, I'm waiting for someone to preach the gospel. There is a missional part of God's heart that wants to be embodied in your life. That wants to implore people as if it was God himself, as it was Jesus sitting next to someone saying, hey, wake up. You don't have to remain in captivity. There is a better way. But someone has to tell them. So there's stories of hope. There's a lot of stories of hope. And um, we were reading through this one book, um, Dirty Glory. It's a book about prayer. And if you ever want to be challenged in your prayer life, go and read it or listen to it. But stories of people just saying yes to God to say, hey, we'll go to Ibiza and we'll go and reach the partygoers," Or hey, we'll go to Mexico and we'll reach the drug dealers. Um, and they just by faith go and they see God move in miraculous ways just because they are willing to say yes. There's a story about someone jumping on a plane not knowing what will happen and when they arrive on the other side there's someone with a board that has their surname on it and it's like, Yeah, that's me. And it's like, man, I'm so glad you came. God told me to be here because someone is going to come and he's got a word for us. So I've already prepared a church where you're going to preach at. (laughs) It's like, how's that for faith? (laughs) But just be willing to say yes to Jesus. Be willing to go when he unctions you to go. Now, whom of you would love to one day come to church and say, guys, I woke up this morning, or let's say a week, we'll give it some time. I woke up last week, Friday. With this urge that I need to buy a plane ticket to Cape Town. And when I got there, God did this, 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 and this happened. How many of you would like to have a testimony like that? All right? Do you know how you cultivate a faith that steps into those yeses? Say yes when God calls you to reach your neighbor. Say yes when God calls you to forgive. Say yes when God calls you to wake up early and read your Bible. Establish a foundation of faith and a foundation of obedience to say yes to Jesus. Where He takes your yes, it's not up to us. But as long as you and I are willing to say yes to Jesus. JP there at the back, his life radically changed after someone just decided to pray for him. Nothing much happened in that moment, but the Spirit of God came upon him afterwards. And it's like... um, you know when God starts to seek you out? Whom of you was stalked um, in high school or at varsity? Like you were the popular girl and you were stalked by the guys. No one. You're just too modest to raise your hand. Whom of you were the stalker, Ethan? Okay. <laughs> it's weird. It's awkward. It's almost a little bit frightening. When the Holy Spirit has got your number, you cannot somehow run away from it. And then the very thing that you stumble over and over and over over is Jesus himself. Because he's got you. <laughs> he's got a plan for your life. I remember in grade 8, I went to one of those church camps. And they had this moment where you would sing a song. Come, now is the time to worship. Now is the time to give your heart. All of that. Whom of you know that song? It's very old. If you know it, you're over 30. Um <laughs> <laughs> But so, so I was I was how old were you when you were grade eight? Fourteen? I was thirteen because my birthday's only in October. Um, so as a grade eight, I sang a song and in that moment they said, Whom of you want to give your life to Jesus? And I raised my hand and said, Yeah, I want to. I didn't fully understand it. No one afterwards came to explain it to me, which was a, a bummer because I fell into a lot of compromise but I made a declaration that night with my mouth that I didn't even understand with my mind, but God kept me to it. God sought me out. And I can keep you busy tonight with stories of God's faithfulness over my life. When I went to England after high school for two years, how God sought me out and he frustrated me. He he intervened in my plans to sin (laughs) because I made a commitment that I wasn't even fully aware of. If you've been baptized as a believer, you've made a commitment in the spirit to God. Oh, my friends, and God is faithful. God is faithful. There's a guy in one of our other churches who um, comes from a is. It's one of the top ten most persecuted nations for Christians to live in. Very much a Muslim nation, um, and he came to faith, and he started reaching out to his family. So his dad is a ambassador for. What, for this country, so he needs to get a visa extension to stay in South Africa, which his dad doesn't want a grant because he's now a Christian, and in that country, it's a shameful thing, so the, in the Muslim culture, it's very much a culture of honor, so it's a very big dishonoring from the son towards the father, but it will also be a great dishonor upon the dad because he's the ambassador. How did he allow this to happen? But now, some of his family members has gotten saved as well. You want to know how he got saved? a student on campus went over to him and said, hey, how are you doing? Can I just pray for you? And after that prayer, something happened. Something started to haunt him on the inside and God started to visit him in dreams and visions. And Jesus showed up in one of his dreams and it was very vividly that he had to choose between Jesus or Mecca. But he cannot go both ways anymore. And it started with someone just stepping out and praying for someone. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, and this is the last scripture that I have. None of you are working tomorrow, hopefully. Whom of you are working tomorrow? I'm so sorry. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, but we have this treasure. What is this treasure? The gospel. Okay, come on. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is the earthen vessel? It's you and me that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Praise Jesus. Friends, you do not need to be an expert in your Bible. You do not need to have a rehearsed gospel presentation. You do not need to be free of everything that Jesus is still working out in your own life. Because the power is not of ourselves. It's of Christ. And we are these jars of clay, these earthen vessels, these cracked pots through which the glory of the light of the gospel can shine through. That's the message. That there's a justice that God is calling you and me into to be ministers of. I want to um, play a music video Um I don't know how YouTube's going to react to this because um, it's streaming online as well and they don't like it when you play other people's music. Um, so we don't know whether this is the end of the stream. If the stream cuts off right now, I hope you guys enjoyed the service. If it continues, yay. But I want to show you a music video and um, it's around the theme of fear and the thing that will keep you as a born-again Christian to walk in the fullness of God's liberation for your life is fear. The thing that keeps people from stepping out of the darkness into the light is fear. Um, So I want you to listen to the song, and I want you just to allow God to come and speak into your heart tonight.
1: you're not good enough When he told you you're not right When he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight When he told you you're not worthy When he told you you're not loved When he told you you're not beautiful You'll never be enough In your steps Fear he is a liar He will rob your rest Steal your happiness Cast your fear In the fire Cause fear Let your fire fall Cast out all my fear Let your fire fall Your love is all of you Let your fire liar.
0: So the Bible says that the blood of Christ has silenced the accuser and what the den- what the enemy, what the enemy, what the devil who is the enemy does is he puts you on the accusation seat. and there's many different accusations that he tries to shame you with. And he says, you're in church tonight, but what if they knew that you watched porn this morning? So you're sitting here and you're singing good songs, but um, what about that relationship that you don't want to tell anyone about? So you're here tonight, and um, what about that, that financial deal at work? Um, that you would never share in your connect group? <laughs> what about that message that girl sent you um, that your wife doesn't know about? Why do you think Jesus should still love you after everything that you've done? And the enemy has all of these accusations that he tries to put on you. And as long as we believe the lies we will remain in bondage. As long as we remain in that place of darkness, we will remain in bondage. And that bondage can be an eternal bondage where if you die, you do not know Christ and you do not get to enter into eternity with Him. But it can also be a bondage in this life where you are born again and your place in heaven is secured, but oh, the enemy gets you to doubt it over and over and over again and as long as you remain in that place of bondage you will not step into the fullness of god's call over your life because you doubt your identity in christ and hence you doubt your authority as a believer you will not walk in god's fullness in his full liberty and he places you on that seat but there's a great exchange that took place friends you see, if Irian comes up, if he comes up, and he takes J.P. off of the seat. <laughs> and he takes his place. Guys, you know the story. Come on. You <laughs> There was a substitution that took place. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And then Jesus sat in that accusation seat where you and I were supposed to sit. And he took it. He took it. He paid the price. He died the death that you and I were supposed to die. But oh, glorious three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. The payment for sin is done. The accusations of the accuser is silenced because of the blood of the lamb. If you owe your um, bank a hundred thousand rand and someone else comes to pay it, do you still owe your bank that money? Can they still legally claim it from you? The legal requirement for your sin has been paid. Jesus rose from the grave. He is not even sitting sitting on the accusation seat. (laughs) That's a lie. That seat is a lie. But the devil wants to sit you there and accuse you. And the only thing that you can and the only thing that you need to present is the cross of Jesus Christ. Fear is a liar. The devil is a liar. So do not allow yourself to remain seated there. When God starts to speak, and there's two avenues here again. If you are not born again, then, you still, um, then you're still going to live in the weight of the fullness of your sin. And you need to have this replacement where Jesus has taken your place. And you don't have to sit there anymore. When you are born again, The Holy Spirit still has a desire to form Christ in you. We read that in 2 Corinthians, that we we are formed in the image of God, shaped from glory to glory, transformed into His likeness. So the Holy Spirit still has an agenda to form Christ in you. His kingdom is alive, so His kingdom will still be formed in you. And for His kingdom to come into your life, some things have to get out of your life but it's not the Holy Spirit sitting you on the seat saying, hey, JP, let's talk about that pornography problem. problem. He doesn't have a pornography problem, I checked. <laughs> hey, JP, while you're on that seat, let's talk about the sin that you don't want to talk about. No, come here. Because you are in a covenant relationship with God, he stands next to you and he says, hey, JP, let's silence the accuser. Because that is no longer your truth. You no longer need to live there. He stands here. Because you are in a covenant relationship with God. Now friends, if you and I, and this is the role of the church, thank you JP. I want to give us three things and then I'm really done. As a church, God calls us to be ministers of love to one another. Because sometimes we forget that God loves us. Sometimes the enemy gets it right to position you on that chair and you doubt the love of God. And it's our job towards one another to minister the love of God to each other. Not just in words, but in our deeds, in our actions, in our behavior. Then God calls us to be ministers of truth. Because as long as you live in a lie, as long as you believe a lie, you are in bondage. So we are called to be ministers of truth to one another, to identify the lie, to expose the lie. And friends, this sometimes comes across as judgment, but it's not. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and He wills you, He urges you not to remain captive in a lie, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is. Friends, He wants us to be free, and He uses the body, to be ministers of truth to one another. And then he calls us to be ministers of faith. Imagine we champion one another on to say yes to Jesus. That we get so over our insecurities when someone comes and shares a testimony about how God provided for them. Like, oh, they must be doing something right because God doesn't provide for me like that. Sometimes we judge people's testimonies because of our own insecurities. Sometimes someone comes on stage and they're sharing how they're reaching out and they're living um, just this call of God over their lives. And they're like, oh, my word, it's always just them just bragging about their life. Meanwhile, you're just being insecure because you are passive. Can we get beyond ourselves and celebrate one another, but call and usher one another towards a life of faith? To say yes to Jesus, to champion one another, to say yes to Jesus. It is an injustice for any child of God to still remain on that seat. So may we not put someone there. May we get them off. But it's an injustice for anyone who does not know Jesus to still remain there because Jesus died. So may we not keep them there. See, Sometimes we can look at the world and we can look at people who do not know Christ. And we look at the brokenness in their lives. And we say, you deserve to be on that seat. You see this on Facebook where someone would post something about something that happened and one of the comments is, oh, that person deserves to go to hell. So do you. So do you. It's an injustice for us to place a shame or a condemnation on someone that the gospel liberated. Some people are in deep bondage, yes, yes. But there's a spiritual brokenness. There is a blindness. And it's the light of the glory of Christ that needs to shine into their hearts. How will it shine? When you and I preach the gospel. And it doesn't have to be a perfect gospel, friends. It doesn't have to be a perfectly worked out thing that you've practiced. Just love people with the love of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to come and just honor you tonight that that accusation seat is empty. And we rebuke right now in the name of Jesus the lies of the enemy that keeps us in bondage. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now about an area where you believe a lie, won't you just repent that? Why do you need to repent? Because you are believing something that is not true. You have a part to play in this you repent. You say, Jesus, I am sorry that I am believing something that is not true. And I turn to you. If there's something specific that the Holy Spirit is leading you into, just repent. Give it to Him. And Father, I ask that as people repent, Your Word promises that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and we are restored in fellowship with one another. I pray that you would come and minister your truth into that area that is a lie. I pray, Lord, that you would give us as a church a faith in our relationship with you to run boldly to you, to run boldly to the cross. I pray, Lord, that you'll give us a faith to keep on saying yes to you. And then, Lord, I want to ask that you fill us up with your Spirit that we will go, that we will share the only message of hope to those who are still in bondage. Lord, we want to be agents of justice in this world. If that's you, if you're saying tonight, Jesus, I want you to use my life for your kingdom's purposes, I want you just to stand. You're saying, Jesus, I want to say yes to you. And again, don't stand because someone else is standing or you think it's the right Christian thing to do. I'm going to lead you into a prayer and God is faithful and He's going to keep you to it. Anyone that wants to sit? Just stretch out your hand. Lord Jesus, my life belongs to you. I am not the owner of my life. I surrender to that, day I chose to follow you, I declare tonight, you are the Lord of my life, my life belongs to you, I ask in Jesus name, fill me with your spirit and help me to be an agent for your kingdom's purposes. Come and fill my mouth right now with the message of the gospel. Let the fire of God be awakened in my soul in Jesus' name. And help me to keep on saying yes to you. Father, we ask humbly. This is my prayer. You receive now. Father, we ask humbly that you would keep us accountable to what we've asked right now. We're not into just praying things, Lord, and doing things. We thank you for the ministry of the gospel. We thank you for your mercies, Lord. And we thank you that we can surrender our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.